Amen. So let's get into the Word today. Uh, if you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, or uh, turn them on, whatever the case may be, amen. Uh, we want to get into the Word of God today uh, as it relates to the second part of our series that we started on last week, and we'll finish this series uh, on today. The Word of God says, starting at verse 25 of Matthew uh, chapter 20, says, But Jesus called to them, called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 26 says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Verse 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. And we're going to finish, as I said, the second part of our series, Serving in the Kingdom of Christ. Serving in the Kingdom of Christ. Now, previously, we shared with you about how the Kingdom of Christ and those who belong to it have been under attack since the inception of the church. One need only to do a basic study of church history to find that the pages of that very church history are filled with stories of people who were so committed to serving Christ that they actually became martyrs for him. Now, martyrs means that they gave their very lives. They were killed for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around living here in a country that allows religious liberty, the home of the free, uh, uh, or land of the free, and the home of the brave. But, but think for a moment that it hasn't always been that way. That people were killed for the cause of Christ. The list of martyrs in Scripture begins with Stephen in Acts chapter 7. It includes the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, who was crucified upside down because he did not want and did not feel himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord Jesus. And most, if not all, of the apostles gave their lives for Jesus Christ. So if you think about it and wonder, why do we, why do we give such, such attention to these men? And a lot of it stems from, brothers and sisters, is that they literally were martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. But the reality of martyrdom in the Christian church didn't end with the death of the apostles. Throughout the historical records of men like Josephus, uh, the church historian, or the, yeah, the, the Jewish historian, and, and throughout the record of church tradition, 
we find martyr after martyr. Even in the 21st century, there are still those in this world that are dying for the cause of Christ. In 2010, in a little place in Egypt, there was a massacre of Coptic Christians. People had gathered for a worship service on Christmas Eve. They were coming out of their worship center, out of their their church. And right then, someone takes a machine gun and opens fire and kills eight people right away. This is in 2010. Now, you might say, well, it's in Egypt. It's in a dangerous country. But let me help you understand this about Egypt. Egypt is a place where Christianity has been around for a long time. Amen. Amen. So the Coptic Christians trace their roots all the way back to to John Mark, who, who who came to Egypt to share the gospel. And so they've been around a long time. Christianity has been there a long time. And yet people in 2010 still being killed for the cause of Christ. Now, these were willing to die not only for what? They believed, but more importantly, brothers and sisters, they offered their lives to whom in which they believed. They didn't just die for what they believed. They died for whom they believed in. They died not just for the doctrines of of Christianity. They died for Jesus Christ. Amen. I wish I had just one witness there that would... They, they gave their lives for Jesus Christ. Now, the spiritual dynamics of the Christian life may not result in martyrdom. God may not call upon you to give literally your physical life for the cause of the kingdom. But those spiritual dynamics should certainly result in a willingness to give everything for Christ. Our Lord may not ask you to physically die, but he does ask that we give our lives in service to him. That's what God is calling you to do, to give your life in service To him. We are faced with the reality that certain influences, certain influences from our culture have disrupted the call to serve the kingdom of Christ. And it's disrupted the call in such a way that one's very life is offered to advance the cause of Christ. God makes the call for believers to share the gospel throughout the world and either our line is busy, amen, or we do not answer God's call because our spiritual caller ID has told us is the Lord. (laughs) And see, if you're a believer and the Holy Spirit, he resides in you, the truth of the matter is, is that God calls you and sometimes we simply don't answer. Now, just throw your hand up real fast if that's you. You've done it. Yes, come on. Don't let anybody see it. Everybody in here believes that you're very spiritual. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So the church, consequently, 
church leaders. Here's what here's what this this not answering the call kind of thing has produced in the church of today, in the in the uh, contemporary church. Church leaders have used guilt to try and motivate the people of God to serve in the kingdom. We've tried to guilt you. As I heard, I've said many times before, the pastor has to get up and, and become emotional. Oh, won't you please, please come and serve Jesus Christ, the one who died for you. And I, okay, pastor, if you say so. We had to use guilt and, and unfortunately, Christian leaders have used gimmicks. Designed to capture the attention of God's people and lead them to faithful service. And I ask you the question, why is a gimmick necessary to lead you to serve the almighty God? Why is a gimmick necessary to lead you to give your life to Jesus Christ in service? Why do... We have to reward you with the promise of a longhorn steak dinner. If you invite some people to come to the Lord. Why do we have to do that? And I think a lot of it has to do because culture has such a great influence that it's almost like, you know, we have to get Ed McMahon to come to your door. You know, he's got to come there and, and say, you know, Publishers Clearinghouse, you know, you might be a winner. You know, <laughs> you, know you shared the gospel with three people and, we, you know, we're going to buy you something. And you say, you know, we laugh about that. But I'll tell you, as I said, you know, to, to a group before, you know, we, we have to do things like, like, oh, my goodness, we cannot keep you. In worship service, one minute over your allotted time. <laughs> I have designated a certain amount of minutes to worship Jesus Christ. And uh, at some point, I'm going to be looking at my watch and be like, okay, let's wrap this thing up. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I, I can't even believe I'm saying that out loud. I just, <laughs> these are inner thoughts to stay in. out. <laughs> But, but think about this. Think about this. That this influence has had this, this, this devastating effect on the church. It, it, is, it is, in fact, one might go so far as to say that the manner by which we share the gospel shifted to a comfort-driven model by which faith in Christ does not define one's life, but it's simply a part of one's life. So we've designed and, and made the church so it's all about your comfort. We have padded seats for your comfort. We have central air conditioning for your comfort. We promise not to hold you too long for your comfort. We give you coffee and tea in the morning for your comfort. You see where I'm going here. We have dinners after church to feed you for your comfort. 
And everything becomes about what is comfortable to us. Well, when I look in the book of Acts, I see a church that is uncomfortable. I see a church that is going out into the world, not knowing if it would cost our very lives to tell somebody about Jesus. I see a church that's not worried about how long worship was. Because they knew that this worship service I'm in, because of the culture in which hated us, they knew that this might be my last time to lift up the name of Jesus. That's what I see when I look in Scripture. I don't see a comfort-driven model. I know this might come as a surprise for you, but God is not overly concerned with your comfort. He, watch this now, I'm throwing this in for free. He who sacrificed his own son on the horror of Calvary is not really that concerned about how much time you have. It's, it's, it's within this dynamic that we find the difficulty surrounding of how we serve in the kingdom of Christ. We come to the meeting. The meeting can't be too long. It can't be too cold outside. It, it can't be too hot outside. It has to be just right. We have a three Goldilocks and three bears attitude. We taste the porridge. That porridge too hot. That porridge too cold. Oh, this one's just right. So the fundamental question is, is really just how much does God require of us? It is also important to note that cultural influence here is nothing new. Culture has tried to influence the church ever since its inception. And this may be especially true as we view the differences between how the world or modern human culture defines service and how our Lord defines service in his kingdom. And perhaps nowhere is the distinction clearer than in the area of leadership. The world views leadership quite differently than our Lord. Let's examine this a bit more closely. And, and, and there are a couple of things I want to uh, uh, tell you. There are two tough questions surrounding this ideal of how we view service and, and taking it from the standpoint of leaders. The first tough question for you this morning is, has the church of our Lord absor- absorbed or absorbed the world's definition of leadership? Do we desire the approval of our culture to the point that we are willing to forego biblical standards so that we can be comfortable. We will take this book, close it, and put it to the side. And we will define our relationship with service based on what works for us. Well, you know, that doesn't work for me. I have known people to take off work because their little toe is hurting. 
I have known people to take off work because there's a ball game they want to attend. When I get to yours, just say something. I've known people to take off work because they fell in love or what they thought was love. (laughs) Baby, won't you call in sick today? Okay. Where we going? But if you ask somebody, would you please consider taking off work or adjusting your schedule so that we can go out and share the gospel with other people? What do you get? Uh, You know, Pastor, I got to work. I got to work. I needs my money. My game got to be tight. (laughs) My ends got to (laughs) meet. And some of us know your ends ain't met in a long time. You'd be happy if your ends could just see each other. <laughs> so is, is, is it, or, or, you know, here's the other question. Is, or is the body of Christ both universal and lo- local standing for righteousness no, at, no matter what the cost? And this, this, are, this is what's confronting us. So in this text, in this text in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus, Jesus is dealing with this issue of service and, and, and he uses leadership as an example. So he says in verse 25, after James and, and his brother uh, John and their mama had came and said, hey, can we have the left and the right and, and all this? After he had told the story about the parable in the vineyard at the beginning of the chapter about, hey, is it not lawful for me to do what I want with what is mine? After all of that, the, uh, the uh, disciples were in an indignant mode. How dare James and John ask those questions? How dare they try to be in charge of us. Who do they think they are? So Jesus in verse 25 does this. He calls them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Now, now he uses this model of leadership to really get at the bigger point of how we see service in the kingdom. And the spiritual lesson Jesus shares in this text regarding how the culture of their day, which was which Gentiles were those outside of the family of God, view leadership, that lesson cannot be ignored. How did the Gentiles or how did those outside of the family of God really view view leadership? Well, like this, Jesus says the Gentiles lorded over them. Watch this now. It is critical to note how Jesus views their leadership paradigm in the world. It was all tied to having authority. Now, you remember, you you ever had a boss that was just, just full of their authority? They just so, just, oh, I'm in charge. And, and, you know, we say, you know, you, you're just full of yourself. You just, you know, because your, your title, you're in charge. You ever had a boss like that? Yeah, many of us maybe have. And, we, and, and so for the Gentiles or for those in the world, Jesus said it was all about the title. It was all about having authority. It was all about the way your chest swell up because you can tell somebody what to do. 
And, and authority is a funny thing for people. We can, we can be the nicest people when we are co-workers. But let one of us get promoted. We come in... <laughs> We come in, we come in the office with a whole nother attitude, don't we? You know, before we come in, hey, what's happening, y'all? How you doing? Yeah, man, I ain't feel like coming to work today. I don't know what. I just, I, well, I had a lot of fun. We get promoted and we in charge. Look, how do we come in? People. People, now let's settle down. And you're like, yesterday. <laughs> and look at you today. The concept of authority has some type of impact on the human psyche. And we have to be careful that we don't let it run away. And if our idea is that I was promoted so that I can boss people around, then we have a worldly concept of leadership. Amen. Now, I wouldn't be preaching this in a church if it didn't happen here. There are some of us who are believers and we go into our jobs and we act like anything but believers. We take on this worldly concept of leadership and then I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you. Here's what's going to happen. Your time will come when we'll have to lay you out in front of the altar in that box that we'll put you in and all your coworkers will come to the service. And they'll look at the bulletin for your service and they'll be reading the obituary, the portrait of your life. And they'll look and say that so-and-so held this position in the church. So-and-so served in the church. And they'll look like this. I can't believe it. You got to be kidding me. They'll be hunching one another. Did you see this? They were, they were a greeter. <laughs> they never even said good morning on the job. What's wrong with that pastor and that church putting him a, a greeter? That's got to be the meanest person we ever met. Because somehow we've convinced ourselves that, that all of this spiritual service is just for in here. That it shouldn't translate into the world. That we can be an ogre or a bear in the world. But somehow when we come in here, we put on that mask. We mask up. And so Jesus is using this example of leadership to teach us something about the paradigm of how he sees servanthood. And this idea of authority only affects the service model of the kingdom of Christ. In that if authority is what we seek, we will have great difficulty in serving. The best servants in the kingdom of God are those who simply say, what is it that you would need me to do? You don't have to give me a title. You don't have to put me in charge. What can I do? Now, some of us sit here today and we think we're pretty good servants. We're not doing anything because here's what we, we tell ourselves. Well, they didn't ask me. <laughs> well, they, they never came to me and asked me to do anything. I would serve, but they never. Why do we have to ask you? 
Why aren't you coming to church leadership and saying, what is it that I can do to advance the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why do we have to call you, knock on your door, send you an email or whatever to get you to serve? You have been gifted uniquely by God to serve in his kingdom. And if you're planted here, you're gifted uniquely by God to serve here in this place, in this local assembly. And so, so we'll have difficulty serving. Now, the second thing, the second thing that I want to share with you is, is kingdom service. Here, here's kingdom service defined. Here it is. In verse 26, he says, this whole thing about the Gentiles and how they do business, it shall not be so among you. My people shouldn't act like that. He says, he says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Kingdom service is inextricably bound to serving others. Look at what he says in verse 27. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Kingdom servant leadership means placing others ahead of yourself. Ask yourself this question, brother and sister Christian. Do you truly seek to serve other people? How far are you willing to go with that service? With all we have to do, here's the thing that that troubles us. How can we possibly place the needs of others ahead of our own? We have to take care of our families. We must fulfill the agenda of work. And Lord, no, we must have time for Sabbath. You know, I got to (laughs) rest. I need some relaxation time. You know, one of our favorite verses is on the seventh day, you shall rest. (laughs) You forgot about that six days, you shall labor part, right? So, so where is their time? 24 hours a day. It's only 24 hours a day. Where is there time for me to serve others? Now watch this. Clearly our Lord understands all of this. In fact, if we look at the words of the Apostle Paul, it sheds great light on what is important to remember in serving others. It is your attitude towards life and those whom you serve. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. This is a verse that we will drive home here at Bethel Gary because we must understand that it's not about us. It is about Jesus. You thought it was about us. You just forgot the J.E.S. Got to catch up with you when you get home. J-E-S. Oh, Jesus. Okay, I got it. It's, it's, really, it's really a paradigm shift in your thinking that God is, is concerned with. Has your thinking been all about what your life is about? About accumulating wealth for yourself. About doing things for you. About sharing those things uh, uh, in life just for you. And not being willing to give anything to anybody else. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Turn to somebody and say right now, you're more important than me. Oh, don't tell no stories now. Don't, don't. Don't be dishonest. Don't be, and don't, and you turn to your wife. That's easy, isn't it? <laughs> Baby, <laughs> you know you're more important than me. Yeah, yeah. Rick, I help you out, man. I just want you. <laughs> but here's the thing. Before you leave here today, you ought to go to somebody that you hardly know. And you ought to make the commitment in your mind that that person is more important than you are. More important than yourself. Esteeming them more highly than yourself. Watch this. They're more significant. Let each of you not only look to his own interests. Now, here's the thing. Paul understands this. He says, yes, you have interests. You, you can consider your own interests, and you should. But not just your own interests. He says, but also to the interests of others. You have to be willing in a kingdom-defined or kingdom-service-defined life to look at the interests of other people ahead of your own. There are times when God brings opportunities to serve and it's inconvenient for you. You're in a hurry. The Holy Spirit says, share the gospel right now. You're like, Lord, I'm on my way to work. Lord, I'm on. How how can I take the time to share the gospel? Let me help you understand something. The reason the Holy Spirit is saying to you and compelling you to share that gospel right then is because he's been doing some work with that person that he's telling you. And he needs you to open your mouth and tell them about Jesus. It might only take two minutes. Don't get over inflated ideal of yourself. That you have to get your Bible out and prognosticate and preach a sermon and, Lord, I don't have my text ready and all this kind of stuff. God says, I've done all the other work. All you have to do is be willing to open your mouth and tell somebody that Jesus died, rose again, and he did that for their sin. They're not going to be impressed with your speech anyway. You know, sometimes we talk to unbelievers like, like they're great theologians. <laughs> uh, yes, I want to tell you that how Jesus became God and man, it's hypostasis. It's, uh, you know. Like, man, what are you talking about? So, so that's what that kingdom service defines. Now, finally, finally, what does this kingdom service lived look like? And here's what, here's what we really need to grasp today. Because all of us need an example of what a life that's lived in kingdom service looks like. In verse 28, Jesus says this about himself. He says, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. So what then does a life of service really look like? The greatest example of a life of service is the life of our Lord Jesus. If you, that's right. If you really got that, you'd be, you'd be celebrating right now. The greatest example of a life of service is the life of our Lord Jesus. Let me tell you, saints, no one ever served better. 
No one ever sacrificed more. Just when you thought you had sacrificed enough, God says, look at what my son gave up. He was sitting in the glory of heaven and being praised by the angels all day long. And he said, Father, I will go down to earth. I will leave the comfort of heaven and go to a place where they will kill me for the sake of of their sin. No one served better. No one sacrificed more. No one ever loved deeper. His life is the perfect example of what it means to serve. Here's an important idea regarding the need to pattern our lives after the life of Christ. This is something for you to take home with you today. Service becomes more like Christ when we find our esteem or value in him and not in the concept of the church. Let me, let me explain that. If your value and your esteem is in the institutional church, then you're going to have trouble. Because in the church, you will find some people that on their best day get on your nerves. Amen. I told y'all, y'all don't believe this God's hospital. It's full of sick folk trying to get well. You come into, if all of your esteem and your self-worth is tied to how people around here treat you, you will be disappointed. We have to stop pretending that the church as an institution, which is full of, full of human beings, not only with the potential for failure, but the likelihood. We have to stop pretending that somehow all of our value and esteem should be in the church. Who gives real value and esteem to our lives? It's not my fellow Christians. I love Kim Barry, but it's not him that adds value to my life. I love you, but it's not you that adds value to my life. It's the fact that Jesus died for me and gave himself for me that adds value to my life. I have esteem and I can hold my head up in the midst of trouble, in the midst of my worst day because he died. I can, I, can, I can celebrate in the midst of my most difficult moments because he gave it all. So who adds value? Don't look for value in the person sitting next to you. Whether it be your wife, your friend, or somebody you just met this morning. That's not who adds all the esteem to you. It should be the fact that you were so valuable to God that he gave his only son. Now look at this. In light of that, look at this text one more time. Thinking about that now. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as ransom for many. What made Jesus' service 
so incredibly awesome. His purpose was very clear. You know what muddies our service? Is that we don't have clear purpose. Why am I doing this? What are the reasons why I'm doing this? Oh, we have purpose that kind of vacillates. You know, on the one hand, I'm doing it because it meets my need. And on the other hand, well, I know I ought to be, ought to be doing it because God loves me. And so we kind of vacillate between the two. But Jesus never vacillated in his purpose. He never wavered. Look how clear his purpose is here. He says, the son of man came not to be served. Very clear. If you are in here today and your purpose is to be served. And I'm talking about from the pulpit to the door. You know, sometimes we, we as preachers get this backwards. We walk around, we have to have a great entourage. You know, we so holy, we look like we floating when we come in. You know. Yeah. I mean, and, and what, what message does that send? You know, we've got attendants running up to us. All this, yeah, yeah, come on, pastor. Oh, yeah, help, do this, I, you know, it's, it's nice. I, I, I appreciate love, but I, I never want to get to the place where I need people to fuss over me. You know, if you can't preach unless you get an amen, something wrong with your preaching. Hmm? That's right. Watch this now. He said, my purpose is clear, not to be served. But I came here to serve others. Then he says in another purpose statement, to give my life as a ransom. I love that word. A ransom for many. If you're here today and you don't understand what that means, let me tell you. Sin as your nature and how you were born in this world, a sinner, kidnapped you. We've all heard of ransom notes, right? What does the kidnapper do? The kidnapper grabs the valuable one. And takes them somewhere to an undisclosed location and sends a note to the one to whom that person has value. And that note says for X number of dollars, you can get them back. Well, what sin did is really kidnap humanity. Sin captured humanity. When, when Adam chose to sin in the garden, all of Adam's descendants received this sin nature by birth. What did Jesus do? When the devil sent the ransom note that is going to cause the life of a perfect sacrifice. God looked and said, I can't send Noah. Watch this now. I can't send Job as perfect and upright as he was. 
I, I can't send, I can't send any of the prophets as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, Elijah. I can't send any of them because all of them were born in sin. Who can I send and who will go for us? And Jesus said, here am I, Father, send me. I am willing to go. I am willing to die. I am willing to sacrifice. I am willing to pay the ransom. And he paid it on Calvary. The essence of the gospel is that your sins were nailed to his cross. And that all you need to do is to trust and believe his report. I came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for you. Let's stand on our feet in this room today.